Hi, Marcus. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Benjamin. I, uh, I was a software engineer for many years. I started coding when I was 12 years old on a Commodore VIC-20. I don't know if you remember those, uh, those kind of computers where we used audio cassettes to yeah, yeah. store data, although I was too poor to have an audio cassette player. So my programs only lasted as long as the machine would stay on. Um, but, but over time I became a professional software engineer and went to college and got a job. And at some point someone decided that it would be a good idea if I were made the team lead of our little team of eight. Um, they described it to me as, uh, well, it's, it's, you know, 90% programming. You just, you know, make sure everybody else is working on the right stuff as well. Um, and that was my first step into management. And fast forward about 20 years later, and now uh, I have uh, built a business helping other engineers and engineering managers build great places to work. I really hope that every developer has a good boss, and I think every developer who ends up in management wants to be a good boss. So that's my life's mission. That's, that's pretty Cool. A very, very good story already. Um, and, and of course, it lends itself very, very nicely to to the question we, we want to kind of like discuss or answer um, during this podcast, which is like, what is engineering management? And you already had a very interesting definition there, like making sure other people are working on the right stuff. Um, but yeah, I think you've got a little bit more complex opinion on that. I, I do, yeah. I think it's a question that in some ways is an evolving target. Um, but I would say that almost any management is concerned with planning, leading, organizing, and controlling. And those four areas of management are typically the things that appointed managers are tasked with. Uh, they're tasked with making sure that people under them are working in a, in a way that's organized and in a process. They're tasked with the individual competencies and training and relationship. They're tasked with making sure people are being effective and efficient. And they're tasked with guiding the project along, even if they aren't a project manager. Uh, so I think that there's also a good opportunity here to separate the idea of management from leadership. Um, I think that there are many appointed managers who are pretty crummy leaders or maybe aren't really leaders at all. Maybe they never even wanted to be in that role. But if we look around on any given team, I think we see a lot of leaders who haven't been appointed into management. The company hasn't given them a, a special title or a hat that says, I'm a manager, but they are absolutely a leader on the team. And I think that it's those leadership uh, qualities and skills that is something that many software managers are unfortunately lacking. Um, so much to unpack there. But maybe let's, let's stay on, on this one thing you said, that um, it's, it's evolving. And I think you also gave us a very like, general answer, like what is management? Where do you see like the, the distinction or what makes engineering management 
different from from the normal or any other kind of management or is there even a difference that's a really good question um you know in some ways a lot of engineering management comes from taylorism which was uh introduced you know a hundred or so years ago as the idea of how do we manage scientists and how do we manage complex processes was undertaken and i believe henry ford also sort of embraced taylorism as he uh, broke down all of the activities necessary to build a car and put them along a a um, my brain has just left, but along uh, a process, right? Uh, what do you call it? The assembly line, right? And so we've got this idea that uh, that you know if if we as engineering managers can just break problems down and assign them, then we can be really effective. Then the team will just work on stuff in the right order, in the right way, and. Almost like an assembly line, there can be these different stations, but that hasn't really worked very well. And traditional hierarchies have kind of broken down when it comes to managing smart, motivated experts called programmers. So then we saw this big influx of Agile come in. And Agile kind of promised, well, you know what, Let's, we don't really need managers. What we need is self-organizing teams that are empowered. And let's get the customer in there and they'll have a product owner. But Agile is not prescriptive about management at all. It just talks about how people should work together and some key roles, some attitudes, and some beliefs. So I think a lot of managers were kind of relieved. They thought, oh, well, great. They'll do that. I won't have to really do anything now because an agile team will self-manage. Um, now, I would say in the past five years, we have realized that that went too far, that that was actually not true either. And I have been noticing in the last few years and sort of a new wave, maybe, I don't know, third or fourth wave of engineering management ideas come out from people who say it's the people relationships that managers have, the individual relationships with that you have with your engineers that really matter the most. And I'm seeing more and more people write on psychological safety and on motivation that comes from relationships. And, and I think a lot of these people are actually ex-programmers, old engineers who, who aren't very happy with the idea of teams that just get left to their own devices, uh, which is sometimes what companies did with agile teams. And, and that was caused a whole other set of problems. So I don't know if I've answered the question, but I see this evolving towards a more humane, sort of more management soft skills um, and giving the team a lot more opportunity to self-manage within a structure that actually empowers them rather than just abdicating the management position altogether. Yeah, that's... That's again very very interesting take. What I what I find interesting is that um, for me personally, um, I found the whole software development or working in a team should be way more about people, and um, we should kind of like refocus on the human as humane aspects um, when working together. For me, came very much out of the whole agile stuff because before it was just like yeah. You have to deliver your stuff. Um, there's this yeah, Tayloristic kind of um, distinction between people who define stuff and people who build stuff. And right, um, yeah, as someone in that some some time ago, <laughs> as a developer, um, yeah, being one of the just you have just have to build stuff. Um, 
kind of role, it really struck me as very um, interesting and very also very um, empowering to to see or to hear. It's like, okay, Agile really talks about humans and really puts human back into the focus. Um, of course, also a lot of, lot of other stuff, but for me personally, it was very much about people and that really stuck with me. But yeah, you, you also said some very interesting things um, in the yeah question before the last um, where you said, or the answer um, rather, where you said that there's often this erroneous yeah, mix up between management and leadership. And for me, in my experience, that's one of the reasons or one of the um, yeah points where people kind of give management as a profession or managers as people um, a very bad reputation telling like, okay, managers, they're actually waste. And, and then some other people come in and say, yeah, exactly. Uh, management is total overhead. We only need self-organizing teams and everything's, everything's done. I always wonder like, how, how do you, how do you respond to these kinds of, yeah. It's a great <laughs> question. I yeah. mean, so first of all, like the most common cultural icon that we have of a technical manager is probably the cartoon Dilbert and the pointy haired <laughs> boss. Yeah. And it's not a very good cultural icon. No one aspires to be that. Uh, and, and honestly, when people from my list write to me, oftentimes their biggest fear as they step into being a team lead or a software manager or even a CTO of a startup that just got a bazillion dollars is they say, I absolutely don't want to be a pointy-haired boss. They have a very clear idea of what they don't want to be, but there's not much in the definition of what they do want to be. Uh, I, I think that that idea that it is about it is about people really comes down to it. And I think it's unfortunate that so many programmers work for bad managers and that management as a profession and leadership as a, a skill haven't really been taught to engineers. They've, they've mostly just been assumed, I guess it's maybe the old Peter principle, like if, if you get promoted to your level of incompetence. So if you're the best coder on the team, there's a pretty good chance that your boss figures, well, you probably can lead other coders or you can just be the boss because you understand the work. But what happens then is that you really just want to keep coding. So instead of taking on the really hard challenges of people and management and uh, you know leadership and mentoring and training and empowering a team, uh, you tend to just keep coding, keep building software, and um, kind of building a team that is left behind. Like you might have a team, but you sometimes unintentionally have created a team that depends on you for everything because you're the best engineer. So yeah, I, I think it's kind of sad that a lot of engineers have such a bad view of management. So I guess that's another thing that I'd, I'd like to change. I'd like people to see that it, it actually is an act of engineering management's the act of engineering a team that does the engineering. So it is like a creative act of building something, uh, which I think every engineer loves. The thing you're building is the team that builds the software. When when answering this this kind of question is I try to weave in this um this idea of the the tyranny of structurelessness like 
Okay, even if there is no structure and everybody's totally fine self-organizing and there's no boss, everyone is equal and yada, 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 yada. But even then there is this, there is a structure there and there are people who are more respected or who are perceived as being, being more, being better. And they then define some, some kind of hidden structure. Um, yeah. I like that phrase you use the tyranny. What, what was it? The tyranny of structurelessness. Yeah. Structurelessness. Yeah, it, and I'm glad you, it's, it's, yeah, a, it's I really not like mine. That. It's, it's a, it's a paper, I think from the, feminism movement of the 70s or so <laughs> well i love the title and i actually i'm glad you brought us back to that because i have clients who work in holacracy who've tried um, a lot of the things you know i think the first time i heard this was when valve opened up their handbook and they had described these self-organizing incredibly empowered teams i was I, I owned a company of software developers at the time and they actually brought it to me and they said we should do this let's just let everyone choose to work on what they want and i looked at the people and i looked at the handbook and i thought well this will drive my business into the ground so i said yeah maybe if you you know if we had a billion dollars but we don't have nearly that much room for failure and trial and error. Um, I, I think that what you say is so true. I actually kind of believe that people thrive in structure, that hierarchy doesn't have to be oppressive, um, especially when you have managers in a traditional hierarchy who allow the teams a great deal of latitude about how they operate rather than constantly dictating what they do and how they do it. And, you know, that's kind of what micromanaging is, right? Yeah, yeah. But there sure is a lot of, a lot of companies that have tried holacracy and other things that have now set them aside. Zappos being one of the most famous ones, I think, who said, and maybe even Google with Google Project Oxygen, I think they tried not having managers for a while. And they came back to the idea that, no, this is a pretty important role to get right. So I, I think managers are here to stay. Yeah, yeah, to totally, absolutely believe that. Yeah, earlier you already told us a little bit um, on your view of how um, management, engineer management evolved over the years. And you kind of also already answered the question or parts of it, like, why did it evolve? Like, because the, it kind of didn't work before. <laughs> what Whatever was before it didn't, didn't work and so, so it changed. Do you see any other kind of forces there? How it or why it evolved? Is it just because yeah, agile went too far, and and so we had to introduce some kind of structure back into it? I I don't know if I've studied this enough to be an expert. Um, I was talking with Bruce Tolgan, who is an expert um, on generational workforce uh, changes. He's the author of a whole bunch of books, really good books. My favorite is the the twenty seven challenges that managers face. Um, but he does these studies every year, and what he's found is that the expectations of what in America we might call millennial generations um, that is people coming into the workforce in the last five years expect something very different from what people who entered the workforce 25, golly, 30 years ago, like I did. Oh, now I feel old. <laughs> But there's just a real, like when I entered the, the workforce, I expected to basically be told what to do. And 
how to do it in many ways. Um, I expected to be given tremendous structure and I just thought that's the way bosses, I was pretty naive 30 years ago, I was 18. And so here I am and I get my first job. And of course I expect to know where I'm going to sit. Somebody's going to tell me what hours to work, what to do, and they're going to either congratulate me or penalize me. Millennials, and that's broadly thinking about people who've entered the workforce in the last you know, five to 10 years, have a different view of managers. And they actually generally devalue the position of management, and instead they value peer relationships. And instead they value that good ideas, they know they have good ideas. So they bring up these good ideas. And traditional managers who aren't ready for that deluge of ideas from a new person will generally shut those ideas down pretty quickly, unfortunately. Well, you don't know how we do things here. You need to spend five years you know, watching how we work before you put forth any ideas. Um, this is really dissatisfying to sort of a, a younger workforce. So I think that this new focus on empowering the team and on the human side of management might be partially in response to a workforce that wants to be taken more seriously and that is less concerned with titles and more concerned with just doing good work and being effective. So we found another industry that gets destroyed by millennials. It's the managers. Like First, they, they came for the housing market, then, then for fast food chains, and now the managers. Um, Yeah, no. But you know, there's so many young people yeah. entering our field, yeah, right? Yeah. I don't think there's, maybe there's as many young people entering the field of teaching and mathematics or history. But if, I mean, especially given the rise of code camps and code schools, if you're 20 years old and you want to make good money, taking a nine-month program or a six-week program and getting a good-paying job is really common. Um, those people actually need to be managed very well in order to be effective. I'm sure you know that. Yeah. And just, just to be sure, dear listeners, that was a joke with millennials and so on. Um, but yeah, um, sounds, sounds very sensible. Um, yeah, that, of course, these kind of generational shifts happening and they, they have consequences. Yeah, maybe going a little bit back to kind of the beginning is like, um, what is engineering management? And one of the larger questions there is like, how does a manager work? How does an engineer manager work? Or what are the practices, um, if there are any, um, of engineering management? For, for, for me, the most important one is the one-on-one, -on -one, talking to people in a... You, in... You, you stole that right from me. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> you, you can still expand on it, please. <laughs> I know. I, that, yeah, that was exactly what I was going to say, was the idea of uh, engineering managers need to know their communication channels. And the one-on-one -on -one is the foundation communication channel with each member of the team. Um, I, mean, I, I think team meetings are good. I think project kickoffs are important. Work handoffs, if you're agile, doing stand-ups and retrospectives. If, um, and in fact, there's a very strong school of thought that says that the title of manager should not be involved with some of those kinds of things because their mere presence brings a different kind of pressure to 
a code review or a retrospective or um, you know a, a stand up so the one on one i think is your primary practice to build a strong professional bidirectional trust relationship to to really it's kind of the foundation of your work to make sure that you and the engineer that works for you uh, are on the same page you're you're giving them feedback to help them improve they're giving you feedback to help you improve that's actually one of the biggest problems about being a manager is no one wants to tell you where you suck, right? Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> and and just making sure they understand why they're working, the context behind their work. I think that's highly motivating <laughs> to everybody. Um, so yeah, I, I'm going to vote also for one-on-ones as being you know the most important um, people management practice that an engineering manager can have. Yeah. And another one, I, I, I assume, even though you probably cannot call it a practice per se, is that, and you already said that, is, is delivering feedback, giving people critical, important, sometimes hard or harsh sometimes. feedback and um, doing that while still making sure that it actually yeah, gets, gets heard on the other side. That's a really hard thing. <laughs> It sure is. And it's something that most new managers really avoid. They, uh, there's a book called Radical Candor that Kim Scott wrote uh, a couple of years ago, I guess. And uh, she's got that framework for, you know, I, I forget one side is called ruinous empathy. That's where you never give any hard news. You just say, you're great. Everything about you is great. And then I forget what the other side is called, but it's like where you're just a jerk and you, you just are too hard on people. Um, not caring if they improve, just almost in a punitive way. So I highly recommend that book as a framework for giving hard feedback um, or giving all, all feedback, because in reality, it's really hard to see yourself from the outside. And that's actually a skill. Observing yourself is a skill that managers need to cultivate because most people won't tell you how you look. Um, and you've got to figure out ways to find out how you're coming across and what it is you're really, you know, how people perceive you. Um, that's really important because it's, it's not just the kind of thing you can, you can imagine that you know already. So you've got to get a feedback loop built in there. Yeah. Now, now you stole my question um, because of that. I just wanted, to, wanted you to expand a little on, on that one. It's like, how do you bring people or how do you yeah, bring people to give you feedback who are kind of sometimes afraid of you because you're a manager, you're in a position of power over sure. them. Um, and right. that's, that's pretty hard to, yeah, to get feedback from, from people who are, like I said, you're in a position of power over them. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, what's worked for me is a couple of steps. First, I tell them why I want the feedback. So it's not just a question like, how can I improve? Or how can I better support you? Um, I tell them why I want to know that. Not, not because it's a trick or because I'm going to punish you if you say the wrong thing, but because in many ways, being an engineering manager sometimes feels like driving a car with broken headlights. It's really hard to see in front of you. And that means that, and you've got to have some visibility into what people think and feel about your work. You've got to get this outside perspective. And so I think just starting with the simple admission of, 
I really struggle to properly evaluate myself and my work. And so, and, and it's so important that you and I connect and that I see things from your perspective. That's why I want your feedback. I'm not just asking hypothetically, but I'm actually looking for places to improve my practices. So if you would tell me that, Benjamin, then I could take that feedback, thank you for it, and figure out what to do with it. But without it, I'm sort of driving blind. So I think that idea of setting the context of why, for me, worked really well. Of course, the second trick was I... I learned to consistently ask for it in every one-on-one. Almost without fail, whenever a new person joined my team, uh, I would start doing one-on-ones. I would say, I would kind of give the why spiel and ask for feedback. The first seven or eight times I said it, they would go, no, everything's great. You're great. No, everything's fine. But I felt like if I could be persistent, then one day they would look at me and go, now that you mention it, you kind of made me feel bad when you made that comment in that pull request. I'm sure it's no big deal, but okay, well, now I have some feedback. Now I've kind of broken through that that hesitancy by asking for it, not just in an annual evaluation, which is almost meaningless, right? But every time we meet, I'm persistent about kind of like, I know you have feedback for me, and I, again, would love to have it. Oh. So I think persistence is really important. Yeah, Sh- showing showing up it kind of kind of reminds me also of that that even if people don't have something or they say they don't have anything, you still show up to them and ask them. Yeah, I think another important practice. Now I'm kind of like bringing up one myself is um, you already hinted at it with um, like. Um, I think you said introspection or self-observation is an important skill for a manager. And in a way, managing your own happiness or no, happiness is a bad word there. Um, Managing your own, how much you're fulfilled by your work and what what you perceive as productivity um, or what you perceive perceive as being productive. Um, Now I'm getting at it. That's that's pretty important to to actively manage that and to have a certain degree of introspection in that area to see okay even though I only talked for the whole day it's it still was work and it still was meaningful and effective work um, because of I don't know X Y Z. Yeah, uh, I'm running a uh, an online class right now called Software Leader Seminar and one of the first questions in the class that were 56 people are discussing was what was difficult when you first transitioned into leadership and a bunch of people wrote it was so hard to feel like I was doing anything like I was making progress like I was accomplishing anything and one person wrote you know I had to really realize that all these meetings and all this talking it was work it was a different kind of work so it didn't feel as satisfying as committing code or moving cards on a Trello board, you know, picking up another story. That to me felt really good, but I had to learn to to kind of take the long view of my work. And and oftentimes it couldn't be measured in the small day-to-day things, um, but it was the bigger picture relationships and products that got built and, you know, quality initiatives the team took on. It was it was oftentimes much less immediate 
um, satisfaction, but a lot more long-term satisfaction. And people described having to reorient, reorient themselves in terms of kind of their expectations about how long things would take and what the real what their real work was. So I think that's a great example. I think maybe just starting by knowing that the work is the nature of the work is so different that you probably will feel like you're accomplishing a lot less. I think this might be especially true if you used to be a developer who mocked your manager for having to spend his whole day or her whole day in meetings, and now you find yourself in that position. Um, so I, I think that it can be a wonderful place to have a weekly introspective discussion with yourself where maybe you, uh, you ask yourself, what did I really get done? What parts of my agenda have been able to move forward? Um, I think that coupled with the fact that most engineering managers are actually overloaded with work. Um, most of them tell me they go home every day with more on their plate than they got to work with that day. So they're having to work nights and weekends. And that, uh, that along with the idea that it's very hard to know if you're doing it right in the moment, provides a pretty difficult feedback loop, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, this, this reminds me of one tip, or um, I, I don't, I don't know the word anymore. Um, from Oren Ellenbogen, um, the oh yeah, who runs Software Lead Weekly, uh, wonderful newsletter. Exactly, yeah, yeah, wonderful newsletter. And um, he also wrote a book, um, which was one of the first management-focused books I read back then, um, and I, I love it. I've Two two things I always um, no more <laughs> I quote more more out of it, um, but one one of the practices he describes there is um, yeah one should keep a like a decision log. I think he calls it decision log, but you can also expand it into more like okay what did I do kind of like a journal almost, or you can turn it into a journal and then of course use that as a tool to or as a basis for um, regular retrospective. Okay, how did I How did that decision fare up um, in the long run? Was it a good one or should, would I do it again or should I do it differently next time? So that's a very powerful technique. I Personally, I never brought up the discipline to to really do it consistently over longer stretches of time. But when I did it, I was always very, very happy and very thankful for it. I like that. I think it, it starts to build the idea of a learning loop in your own work. Yeah. It's a self-feedback. It's between you and yourself, and it's basically a discipline that agrees that even if no one else gives you any feedback, your decision, and then turning around and asking yourself a week or a month later, how did that decision come out? What would I do differently? You can observe that. And I think it's that intentional looking for learning opportunities, even if no one gives them to you, that is so key to growth. So. You already said you're running an online seminar for new leaders. What is like your key learning opportunity or key tip um, that you're giving to people there um, and say, of, co or, of course, I don't want to hear your trade secrets, but. but <laughs> oh, there are no trade secrets in this business. You, you know, my goal really is to change the world of work so that every programmer has a great boss. So I'll just give it to you right now. 
Ready? <laughs> okay, uh, totally. Okay, here it is. So I actually, we didn't talk about this much, but I hinted at it. I subscribe to a management theory called Leader Member Exchange, which says that me, that the most important thing ab- at work is your relationship with your boss. That that relationship with your boss is the lens through which someone's entire work experience is viewed. And the studies show, there's real science here, Benjamin. It's not just making it up. The science shows that there is a very strong correlation between a person's relationship with their boss and their job performance and job satisfaction. And so never think that it's it's not about the relationship. And I just want to leave with that idea of you can look up leader member exchange theory. There's a pretty good Wikipedia article on it, but the studies are just uh, amongst software engineers actually, and their bosses, which I thought was very cool, really show that the relationship we have with our boss is so motivating to us and it provides us so much satisfaction. It's actually not about all the things that engineering managers worry about, like cool new technology and greenfield projects. It's actually about the relationship individually that you have with each one of them. That's that's my reason for making one-on-ones the cornerstone of engineering management practice. That's a very, very powerful idea. And really perfect, <laughs> perfect ending for this. And so thank you very much, Marcus. It was very, very great talking to you. And yeah, see you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Mine too. Thank you.